Our tour through the mid-1960s had brought us back to Adam Strange with art by the incredible Carmen Infantino and writing by our candidate for most improved writer, Gardner Fox. With them at the helm, Visiting Rand promised pulpy sci-fi action to match the best that we'd read. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Oh, it's not Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> I like. I had to think about that. So we have uh, effectively shifted to like a once a month schedule. Uh, and it the the thing with like what, what did we do? Three episodes of Legion. Four. 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 Pretty much. Wow. Yeah, okay. I guess uh now we were really now we're really starting the new year. Yeah. Um we're returning to our alphabetical nonsense uh of mystery in space with Adam Strange. Um for the just a brief reminder for those of you who are listening to the podcast chronologically and not from our fancy cool playlists that we have on uh SoundCloud. Uh, Adam Strange, as a reminder, is an Earth archaeologist who, when struck by Zeta Beam radiation or Zeta radiation, was transported to another planet called Ran in a far distant galaxy, and there met a woman named Alana and her father, Sardath, and has basically become a de facto protector of the planet. A very John Carter of Mars, a stranger in a strange land kind of a situation, and he's become a local celebrity for the... Ranians, as this earthling archaeologist who uh, solves problems for them, has stopped wars, has stopped giant monsters, and other sci-fi threats. This is likely, uh, next to the challengers of the unknown, at the moment in our coverage, the least superhero superhero. Mm -hmm. Um, He is much more Indiana Jones, much more action hero character than he is... Batman or Superman or Green Lantern. Um, the, his closest analog would likely be Green Lantern or um, probably the Hawks, whom he has teamed up with as well, Hawkman and Hawk Girl slash Woman. Um, but he is very definitely a human man who just has a jetpack and Swiss Army science knowledge. Um, which is, for those of you who don't remember, Swiss Army science is a scientist of everything and anything. That's kind of what we've just labeled that type of scientist in comics. We run into them a lot. Um, The current writers at this time uh, are Gardner Fox and Dave Wood. Now, Gardner Fox, you'll know because Gardner Fox does a primary amount of the sci-fi in DC's headlining right now. Especially, he's also the writer for a Justice League book. Uh, For Gardner Fox, his companion for all the art is Carmine Infantino. For Dave Wood, he's not going to have a steady partner in art for a while. Pretty much throughout the coverage that we're going to have here. Uh, from 1964 to 1965. Um, it kind of changes from seri- uh, from story to story, and uh, we're going to talk a little about that because there's some, there's some changes to the characterization and stories that I'm not quite fond of uh, yeah. for a few reasons. I don't know that we've had as big of a difference between how 
much, at least I, liked stories before and after a creative team change. And I think a lot of that is, you're going to hear me talk about this a lot, I think, is how much I like Gardner Fox and Infantino paired up. Yes. Um, They are one of the better teams of visual storytellers when put together, for certain. Um, I will say we do kind of get similar whiplash in this turn in terms of narrative dissonance uh, on Superman. Often we get that uh, Superman. We did, we had that with flash for a little bit when uh, John Broom was writing flash and then Robert uh, and then Kaniger got on it and it was a, a very different story for a while. Cause Kaniger had, uh, Kaniger had his agenda with how people are in the sixties. <laughs> um, so we it's not unfamiliar territory for us to get different teams getting onto the same book um, and sometimes being disappointed with how that shakes out. This is so starkly different in a way that I was not prepared for, that I was shocked um, at kind of, not how like, oh my God, it's so bad, but just like, wow, you changed some things and it's not like you know suddenly adam goes from being a blonde to a redhead so much as character behavior is different in a way that i would not have associated this being the exact same character this is an entirely different person now and i think it's worth calling out that it's it doesn't have any of the usual what i think of as the usual indicators of a before and an after uh you don't have the you don't have a like a big costume change moment at least you don't have the x-men coming out in leather uh you, you don't have oh big new threat or something because that's that's something that you can also use uh in more modern like serial stories is oh a new arc begins you're not getting that it so it just kind of happens, and at least for me, there was almost a little bit of doubt at times of, did the change really happen? Did the change happen earlier and I just didn't notice it? Or is it really just new team came on and some things changed? And yeah, that, that is what it is. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to kick things off with Mystery in Space, number 89, February 1964. Um a woman who chooses the name Lorelei from a strange ship that is out in space uh, travels to Ran and begins to attempt to seduce Adam Strange to try and get him off planet so that he would no longer be a threat so she could take over Ran. Um, and in doing so, Adam kind of plays her for a fool, pretends to go along with the scenario, and uh, fools Alana even into thinking that he's in love with this woman, Lorelei, and... Uh, obviously defeats her and sends her packing. Um, obviously, there is a joke there with Lorelai being the temptress um, of old. And it was kind of strange. Um, huh, funny. Uh, Adam Strange. But it was a very weird story in the sense that he did not... We did not really understand until maybe about a quarter of the way through what was going on. And then his reasoning for being immune to Lorelai's charms was just he was very in love with Alana. It was kind of a throwaway, oh, my love for you is so strong, which has been, which of all the science hoodoo and um, crazy reasoning for defeating an enemy, that was such a weird, like, 
oh, and true love conquers all, I guess, kind of moment. Can I get a little just stuck in on this? Because I, yeah. I think there, there are a couple different things going on that I found interesting. Uh, and I'm going to like... I'm going to step like one step, one step, one step, and then arrive at uh, why that was less of an issue for me. So a bit of backstory. First off, this this is Matthew in the modern era having access to Wikipedia and (laughs) side note, like trusting Wikipedia, which is always a little bit dubious, but I feel reasonably good about. Whereas Gardner Fox does not have Wikipedia in his age. He has encyclopedias. It is worth noting my understanding of the Lorelei myth is it is a form of siren story in Germany, specifically uh, on the Rhine. Uh, but the general interpretation seems to be that it's an accidental siren in the sense of, oh, there's just this woman with beautiful golden hair who goes to a particular uh, cliff on the Rhine and brushes her hair. And sailors are distracted, and they just crash. And it's not an intentional siren thing like we think of with Odysseus, but just, oh, this accidental thing, uh, this even this tragic thing. Uh, and so, honestly, the piece of her being able to control, uh, to, to force people to fall in love with her, uh, I... Like, it almost washed over me, and it just didn't stick with me. I do agree they use those terms, though. So it is no justification for Gardner Fox. But that bit stuck less to me than just, oh, here is a person who is molding herself and her behaviors to look to be the perfect person for Adam Strange, which is kind of... Fox kind of goes both ways with it. There is that scene where she is literally molding. She she is having her physical appearance changed to be more, more human and more desirable in that way. So I agree. Text is written is she has a superpower and there's a bullshit explanation. But for me, I, I, I latched onto, Oh, he is Adam strange has figured out there's something weird going on here and he shouldn't trust her uh, in two different instances. Uh, so, okay, he saw through her, and here is the mumbo-jumbo science explanation for what, how he acted on that impulse. But, so yeah, like, kind of coin flip of whether it works for you. Yeah, it's it's very, your mileage may vary here. Um, the, the biggest takeaway from this story of Mystery in Space is uh, Adam and Alana get engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, um, he... At the end, he pretends to be to want to propose to Lorelai to trick her into thinking that she fully has um, bamboozled him, and he you know sends her away. And then with the actual ring, he proposes to Alana. So they are now engaged, which is wonderful. Before we uh, move on, I want to yeah. There's there's one thing I I wish I wish this w- that wasn't the big takeaway for it. I like that development, but. There's pieces of this story that feel like it should have, it would have been cool if there had been, if she had been a recurring character, uh, because there there is explicitly a bit where she is shown in silhouette, and I believe she is not a human. Uh, yeah. Later on, she says she is, but uh, in this particular scene, it's oh, you are you are going to take the form to attract uh, him. And then there's the Electrona brains who are actually running the ship that she's on when she's there. And I, and you have the fact that the Lorelei is sort of this tragic, unintentional siren. I would love if this had been, if this had continued to be explored 
in more stories, even if it was just on the surface level that Gardner Fox does, even if it had just been, uh, what's the name of the uh, mermaid that uh, is in love with Superman? All of them. Lori, <laughs> Mono, Reno, Jero. The, the, the lady. The uh, Lori LeBaris. Yeah. Even if it had just been on that level of, oh, recurring character who kind of, okay, you see her at different points in her relationship with the male protagonist, but we don't get that. She never comes back. Sure. Um, it is it is a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um. We go to Mystery in Space, number 90, March 1964. Adam and Alana team up with Hawkman and Hawkgirl uh, to stop uh, Ran and Earth from colliding. We actually cover this in our Hawkman coverage. Um, so if you really want to check that out, you go back then. Uh, we've already covered this before. It is a team-up book that, or a team-up issue that goes the entire book. And the pair of that, uh, the pair of superheroes um, just kick ass and take names while preventing the planets from colliding and because of their proximity adam travels to ran without having to use a zeta beam which means he does not get zeta back like he normally does at the end of the story he's on ran and he and alana decide they want to go back to earth to live there and uh we see this uh in the next story uh mystery in space number 91 may 1964 Alana actually, uh, after arriving on Earth with Adam and they're going to prepare to live out their days on Earth, is zapped back to Ran from a, uh, by a villain from uh, a previous Mystery in Space, number 80, Mortan. Uh, Mortan basically uh, puts a bunch of negative Zeta Beam energy in Alana, which makes it so that if Adam, who is full of positive Zeta energy from the Zeta transportation, gets close to her they will explode. Um, and so she has to find ways of telling him that she, that he can't come close to her. And then Adam finds Mortan, defeats him. And by the time that happens, the uh, negative Zeta beam radiation wears off of Alana and they are able to be together again. Uh, Mystery in Space, number 92, June 1964. Uh, an alien race looking for special materials uh, on both Ran and Earth uh, invade the planets at the same time. And Adam has to fight off an invasion on two different planets. Mystery in Space, number 93, August 1964. Two energy beings imprisoned uh, in the past, uh, or who were who were imprisoned in the past, are now released, and they escape, and they cause havoc, and Adam and Alana must stop them and return them to their prison. Mystery in Space, number 94, September 1964. This is an interesting one. This is another uh, guest appearance uh, story with another character from a different Mystery in Space uh, sort of brand. Rick Starr, Space Ranger, teams up with the long uh, lost, or not really long lost, but like future descendant of Adam Strange. And they stop uh, a, a super weapon that's now gone awry uh, using uh, stories from Adam Strange's past to try and prevent this thing from doing big bad things. And uh, Adam, Strange's, Adam Strange's descendant is a uh, redhead. Which I guess is the thing that we're taking away from this is that I, I think this is actual science. A blonde and a brunette like Alana produce a redheaded child or somewhere down the line. I guess that's what we're trying to go for. But uh, yeah, uh, his descendant, who is also called Adam Strange, by the way, which is hilarious, um, is involved in this one. We move back to the present, quote unquote, mystery in space, number 95, November 1964. There's a girl at a arc archaeologist gala who hits on adam and gives Mm -hmm. him a smooch on his cheek and it causes alana to get 
a little jealous, but later during the rest of the story, they stop a bad guy who has mental powers that controls monsters, not uh, Monster Master or Jungle Man from the Legion of Superheroes, a different bad guy. Um, and at the end, there's a weird sequence where Adam is really embarrassed by Alana's PDA. Like she she kisses him in front of in front of a bunch of guards, and he's like, "Sweetie, this isn't the time." And that is the first time we've ever seen him like be uncomfortable with her expressing her adoration for him. I forgot about that. It is super weird. Mystery in Space, number 96, December 1964. Adam encounters uh, a bunch of mystic slash scientifically special coins on Earth that, when exposed to sunlight, cause the images on the coin to turn large and then cause havoc, i.e. a giant clam that crushes things, a wheel, a sword, etc. This happens on both Ran and Earth, and Adam must stop them. So those are the stories that we're covering for this uh, episode. Now, I'm not particularly certain. I'm sure I could look at the giant tome behind me. But Dave Wood starts writing, I want to say, Mystery in Space 92, or the Correct. alien race looking for two different, uh, looking on Rand and Earth are uh, invading. So a couple things here. Alana's outfit changes. She goes from her mid-60s, like, tunic and pants outfit to a peplum skirt jacket and pants. She is femmed up to a weird degree for no discernible reason when Adam gets no change to his costume. Alana is now more femme. Um, Alana becomes much more invested in the romantic aspect of their relationship, i.e. she gets jealous when when she sees the kiss on his cheek, she becomes more affectionate, um, and Adam seems a little bit put off by her being affectionate at times that he's uncomfortable, which we've never seen before, um, specifically for two characters who've made out in front of one of their dads. Like, the (laughs) amount of times that Alana and Adam kiss in front of Sardath is pretty incalculable and for him to be like "Mm, yeah these strange guards can't see me being with my loving fiance which by the way is never mentioned again the second dave wood takes over the series we never hear about them being engaged ever again it like huh it it isn't it isn't a plot point anymore yeah um i think they are and also dave wood's language when speaking of alana is different refers to her as his sweetheart his girl, his gal. He uses much more earth-affectionate terms and somewhat demeaning terms mm-hmm. to belittle Alana. Gardner Fox usually calls her um, Adam's love, which is a fairly romantic turn of phrase, which could be a princess, a queen, anything, you know, kind of a thing. It is, it is less infantilizing than sweetheart. It's, that's more childish. A more uh, a more uh, teenage version of how you refer to your your girlfriend for a woman who ostensibly is just as much of a hero as Adam Strange. He refers to her as a damsel in distress character, or he he writes about her as if she were one of those, and that feels strange when Gardner Fox treated her as a very capable sidekick. As capable as Shaira in Hawkman. You know, it was it's a very obvious, like, oops, 
Adam also becomes a little bit gruffer, more action hero, less science focused. Um, the comparison I made to this was somebody seeing a movie series and then rebooting it as a TV show. They are the exact same characters, but they are slightly different for a different audience. Things have been changed for the serialization of a narrative so that we can get clearer defined roles instead of a much more epic property. Adam Strange was, you know, images of tanks and soldiers lined up on a page getting ready to fight a giant spaceship off, you know, that's off on the side of the panel. This is much more space cowboy. It's the difference between Dune and Firefly. And not that Firefly is any less fun or any less valid than Dune, but they are different types of sci-fi. And it feels like someone decided Adam Strange had to be less grandiose. And Dave Wood writes him that way. He's much more of a man of action, action hero guy than a guy who, for some reason, who was an archaeologist, could figure out how to rewire space guns. You know, uh, it's it's very strange. Um, those stories are the lesser, by and large, mainly because they are um, more shallow, more about the action, more about the interaction of the sexes with each other, um, less so, like I say, the grandiose nature of space conflict. The fact that Rick Starr in the one issue that Space Ranger is in feels interchangeable with Adam Strange mm -hmm. is weird. Rick Starr just is a guy dressed differently who has a different name. The way that Dave Wood writes them, they might as well be the same person. I would expect, frankly, Adam to be a more cerebral character, to be a more level-headed guy, to be a little bit more um, curious intellectually. Um, he's about as scientifically inclined as Superman is. He clearly knows science and can do science things, but he's not, like, brainy. I want him to be a little bit more like The Flash. Right now, he's Green Lantern. And so it's it's a very, like like we were saying earlier, it's a very obvious shift. But it's also so imperceptible at a certain level because the characters are just the same people that it feels like Matt said, it feels like somebody else's run on a modern day comic without the company spanning event to make a demarcation point when somebody else's run happens. It's just suddenly someone else is writing this comic and now this person's a different person. And uh, it's very weird and it's jarring. I have stumbled my way into a horrifying pun. So you said that there was a remarkable shift in the stories. There wasn't just a shift. There was a shift. The <laughs> editor chained from Julius Schwartz to uh, Jack, Jack Schiff. Schiff. Holy shit. That's right. Jack Schiff is the guy that ousted Jack Kirby. I didn't actually know that. They get into a royalties dispute over um, Oh yeah. one of their uh, over one of the books that they both work on and Kirby loses and in subsequently then leaves DC to go to Marvel. I, I forgot. 
forgot about this. Like I was, I literally searched, I was trying to remember who, uh, what else Chiff had been on that we had covered. And so I just searched through my Google docs and literally had up my, the second challengers episode notes. And that just, I searched for Chiff and that was the first thing that popped up. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah. yes, we have, uh, we have Schiff. I, I'm not clear if he was actually uh, doing uh, Challenger stuff, but he was certainly doing uh, Batman stuff and probably some other stuff that we've covered, but I'm not sure offhand. This actually explains something for me, too, because at least according to DC Wikia, mileage may vary on whether it's correct or not, uh, there is actually one story after the creative team change where Gardner Fox comes back. Still not Infantino, but uh, Gardner Fox and... Uh, a different artist, I don't remember who. I, it might be like, I think it's issue 94 or something like that. Uh, so it's not a complete break right away. It is, uh, at least we get this little moment where he's back, but it still doesn't feel right. And I was trying to figure out why is this not the level of quality that I expect or the kind of thing I expect. And I guess probably a change in editor would do that. But yeah, just losing, losing Fox and Infantino... And all of the changes that come with that are extremely rough because it's not just the engagement that's gone. Uh, I, Fox had already gone back on this, I believe. Uh, I think he was still uh, in, on the thing that I'm about to say. I think he was still on the project when uh, they break away from, oh, we're both able to stay on Earth with no problem to, OK, well, now we're back to the same status quo of having to bounce back and forth via uh, Zeta Rays. Data beams, but yeah, just so many things thrown out the window. And I, there's one thing in particular that stands out to me as just a dumb example of this. I mentioned there isn't a costume change moment, but there is a costume change because he doesn't ever wear the helmet again. Yes, he's just it's just his hair now. He, yeah. yeah, and and to some degree they they lampshaded a little bit by. There's a point where he has a dummy that he flies off and it gets shot and he's like, I'm here. Uh, but so theoretically, the helmet on the dummy gets blown up, but it it is a change. It is not a great one. The other thing that really like I could I the first three issues just reading through I'm my notes just filled with fuck. Yes, this art. Awesome. This explanation for how this thing went. Perfect. The solution's great. Art actual paneling layouts it's great because carmen infantino reminder for those who haven't i don't know how many episodes ago it was that we covered (laughs) the like the initial wave of flash and green lantern stuff but he is the artist who i think we both view as the most future of comics and the paneling layouts we're so used to six panel layouts where it's just like cookie cutter or you slide the the gutters around a little bit between panels and he just does cool, modern-looking shit with what panels go where. And that goes away. But I think one of the cleanest encapsulations for t- two things uh, of why it especially hurts to lose uh, Infantine or at least crystallize what we lose. Uh, in terms of just how characters are drawn, uh, Adam is drawn... Adam Strange is drawn by Infantino like... It is a skin-tight suit that he's wearing, and you see the muscles drawn. When the new artist draws him, you see the fold of the clothes. 
And the mm. other particular panel that just really stands out to me, both as sort of encapsulating the the art style and the difference in the relationship between Alana and Adam, uh, there's a panel. Uh, this is when they are on Earth uh, and... They are both on Earth, to be clear, because I think this is the same issue as the crossover with the Hawks. And Adam is just standing on the beach, like, just standing with his arms slightly out, just kind of, welcome to Earth, Alana. Uh, And Alana is sort of running down the beach with her arms out, just kind of, not like running super dramatically, like, towards him with her arms outstretched, but, like, also arms wide, like she's, like, they're both getting ready for a hug. And yeah. the d- difference between that that very natural pose of him not rushing to her, her like running to like running casually towards him, not like oh there isn't a melodramatic flourish. It's not now compare that to I think the new artist draws, and I think DC Comics in general, t- the arts, the house style draws like flat caricatures they're not cartoons because they don't have enough sense of momentum and movement or dynamism which i associate with cartoons but it is that kind of flat like caricature work and infantino's jeff stuff is just so much better than that one is one is a you know looks like a frame from a video the other one is like a picture of people running yes yeah, I have I've written down like drawings versus cartoons and I mean how much that actually evokes properly isn't going to work yeah. but yeah. So it it is astounding how much less I cared and how much faster I went through stuff after the creative team yeah. shift. Because they're also just like I said more shallow stories. Yep. They're less complex. They are much more terrestrial in plot in terms of as terrestrial as you can be with sci-fi epics but they're more mundane they're less cool there's no Mm -hmm. longer a you know energy being from a different dimension off on a planet somewhere telling them that they have to defeat him or else he will destroy ran it is much more these guys came to the planet and they want to steal x this guy broke out of jail these energy beings broke out of jail. This weapon is on the loose. It's it's much blander and more stock plot. I could put Green Lantern in there and it wouldn't change anything. Yep. And and in fact, it would make Green Lantern substantially worse. Yeah, it'd make it boring. Absolutely. Yep. Put like the the thing that goes through my brain for comparing how this not not even structurally how the stories are written, but how Gardner Fox solves problems or has his heroes solve problems there's a point where the the hawks there's a point where the where lake superior gets teleported to hover above uh what is it ranagar the capital city Mm -hmm. and it's it threatened to have it drop on uh the city if it resists this supervillain and the hawks solve it by flying through and dropping basically depth charge slash nukes into it that explodes such they place them such that when they explode it scatters every all the water like out and away so that it's just spraying out and not all coming down in one spot and it's like you know what the math checks out 
that mm-hmm. works. That's cool. It, all right, yeah. As compared to several of the problems of the of the obstacles are solved in the later stuff by Adam Strange has different elemental ammos in his yes. ray gun now. They and, they've added that, yeah. No. It's weird. His gun shoots different shoots fire, shoots ice now. No. For some reason. And he kind of develops it off panel. Yes. And so it's not like a big deal. It's just now my gun shoots ice. Okay. Why? <laughs> yep. It pop. A lot of pop. Yep. Here's a a thing that the crossover so as a reminder, uh during all of these first stories and for a little ways back, uh the Hawks were the backup story, slash well, Mystery in Space would all sort of alternate who was in front, uh, who was the primary story, uh Adam Strange or the Hawks. Uh and of course my brain is now catching up and saying oh wait i wonder if the fact that they're in the same uh comics are is going to be where we start seeing like ranthanagar brought in together and have the the things leading up to the ranthanagarian war uh and no that just doesn't happen because uh hawkman gets spun off into his own comic and we get space ranger instead oh rick star space ranger it yep very buzz light year of star command yeah just yeah. a just a dude who has a, a a police scanner who happens to show up and solve problems <laughs> like he is kind of kind of not someone i would trust anything to with the setup that they kind of gave him like this is what this is what space ranger is just some guy solving problems like he's not Okay, sure. And <laughs> and we get the thing that sucks ex- like even more about it is uh there's one issue after the Hawks have left, but we still have Gardner Fox on the comic where the backup story is a little sci-fi story by Gardner Fox and it's all right, like I skimmed it and it seemed cool. It didn't mm-hmm. seem amazing, but it was fun and it was interesting and it was more interesting than any space ranger stuff that i skimmed yeah there's a reason no one really thinks about that when they think of dc comics yeah like i'm going to i'm going to rant for a minute uh to some degree we are almost cheated out of we are almost cheated out of content by the fact that we get this change and there's just nothing interesting about these uh the the stuff that the new creative team makes i i think it is worthwhile for me to say that that i am slagging on them they are not good but they're far from the most terrible things we've read uh yeah it's just such a drop like the the delta is so high because gardner fox and carmine infantino were doing really cool stuff yeah it's it's how everybody feels when a new showrunner gets brought onto a show for a show you like. Yeah. And I'm going to jump right from that because I think that encapsulates it really well. Uh, it This really ca- makes me think about how much trust, momentum, whatever you want to call it, there is that intangible 
thing that I am realizing how much it shapes how I consume content. Uh, whether it be TV shows or comics or books, uh, anything, there are little switches that get flipped by that thing. And I'm thinking about specifically the ways it manifests, because this, this has made me think about this. Uh, there's the trust of, should I take this seriously? And then there's the trust of how am I, what lens am I going to look at this from? Is it, uh, fundamentally positive or is it fundamentally negative from a from a should i take you seriously side the the example i go back to is like <laughs> gundam is not a show that does amazing things all the time but it did such a good job in the first series of taking of having a really thought out position on a lot of things and then in the second show slash season slash whatever uh, the second brand of it, uh, Gundam Zeta, had enough interesting ideas that forever after, no matter how stupid Gundam gets, there is going to be a core understanding of I should try to engage with this on a serious level. And then there is, am I looking from at this from a positive light or not? Am I trusting this show or comic, in this case, to to think positively of it or am I going to be doing a critical read not for harm done but oh I'm looking for the flaws uh and that maybe momentum is the better word there than trust but once you lose that momentum it's so astonishingly easy to just stop caring about something and this even had like the sl the lowest the least amount of like having to jump a chasm because mm -hmm. they didn't they didn't trumpet the fact that there was a change in creative team uh they didn't do any of those big like break moments uh it just kind of happened but even then we're still able to pick up on things and as soon as as soon as you lose that momentum everything's gone so i guess the <laughs> i don't know what the takeaway is from that but i know that i am now like watching things differently be, because I I am looking through the lens of momentum of is this does this have the momentum on its side for me to continue enjoying it or has this crossed into a space where it's going to take where it has to con prove consistency for me to take it seriously again. Hmm. I think that's a an interesting problem to have with this. Here's a, I think this is the last piece that I have, but it's a thing that bugs me a lot. On Ran, and I think this might just be a new creative team thing. How did the vehicles get around? They got around on wheels. There is, I shit you not, what looks like a generic Earth truck at one point. I think mm -hmm. technically that's on the other planet that uh, Alana and the two explorers visited, but... Uh, there are also points where it's just, hey, there are care, there are trucks, and they just look like Earth trucks. They have wheels. The police make screeching sounds as they stop. Uh, and there's just an image of what looks like a straight-up truck, and I hate it. It just, you know what it is? It's the, it uh, what is it, the it. Chevy Tahoe in the Halo uh, trailer? Yeah. <laughs> it just demystifies 
the the entire thing. Yep. This is mysteries in space. You cannot demystify. Yeah. It, how do you go from spaceships to wheels on cars and like we've been we've been flying around on jetpacks this whole time. <laughs> yep. Also, this is just a me thing, and I, I've noticed it, and I'm likely going to do something about this information and this observation. Every future location that we have seen, or space location that we have seen, has science police. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is science police? Why not just cops? Why are they science police? Does, the, does putting the term science in front of them indicate some sort of thematic change in the way that we handle government because our the governing body is science-based what like because it's not just like ran has this and then we see it also in legion of superheroes it is clearly a thing that exists as a sci-fi trope in comics and I don't know why. I'm sure it's some sort of Asimov-esque thing. But it's very fascinating to me, the concept of police governed by a scientific body indicates future. Or like the Science Council, which Ran also has. Is that just a group of people who have degrees? Do they have some sort of governatorial power? Like, are they an executive branch? If so, is your is your planet ruled by scientific consensus? And is that just not a government? Why have science in front of it? These are extra steps. I it just it was something I noticed this time around, um, and I. I God, I'm gonna delve into it. I'm sure at some point, but it's it is something I have noticed, and I'm like, wow, that's a that is two different writers on two different books doing the exact same joke, and in different time periods. Because Adam Strange is supposed to take place during a contemporary time period, of the 1960s, and Legion of Superheroes is supposed to take place um, far into the future. But they both have science police, so I don't know. But it is just a thing I have noticed thematically in these high sci-fi books. I did some poking around to see like when because it's a very technocratic thing of yeah. oh, the people who have the the science and the expertise uh, would would rule and or be the enforcers. But yeah, it doesn't seem like that's when technocracy was at its peak. So yes. I don't know. It's you're right. I don't get science it. police sounds like a crypto bro thing, oh. and it bothers me. Yeah, it's the uh, you know what was uh what was it uh Andrew Yang Andrew Yang uh his thing uh the Legion of Builders and Destroyers yeah <laughs> it's like buddy buddy do you understand how uh local uh local uh, officials work and how often if you have an external force coming in and uh, just running rampant over uh, local wishes it doesn't go well yet oh boy. All right. Should we move on to recommendations? Yeah. All right. I'm going to recommend the series uh, or the YouTube channel Folding Ideas. Mm. Um, I really, really like it. I watched a number of uh, episodes recently, specifically In Search of a Flat Earth. 
and uh, line goes up. Um, In Search of a Flat Earth is a short-ish documentary about flat earth conspiracy theories and the people that believe in them and also how to calculate the earth's curvature in a real experiment and showing you live the earth's curvature um which is fascinating and an interesting that part in and of itself is really cool that's just as a science nerd like hey look that is an actual experiment that shows you the curvature of the earth wow um but also just the truly unhinged depths that true core flat earth conspiracy theory goes into um line goes up is admittedly a two hour long video and very 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 techno babble heavy but a crucial i would say crucial starting point primer for understanding cryptocurrency and nfts um and their perceived pros and obvious cons it is a very, very well-researched look at them. Obviously, he is taking the position that NFTs and, and cryptocurrency are bad. Um, but he does his best to take the context of people who are pro for them, showing the benefits that these people tout, and explaining why those don't exist. And it's really well-researched. Again, it is two hours, and it is incredibly hard to parse. And he acknowledges that, and he apologizes for it. Purely because that information is specifically kept in a way that it is so jargon heavy, it is to obfuscate the true nature of the technology. Um, So if you feel lost, that's on purpose. Because this stuff is made to be confusing, so you don't think too hard about it. And he does most of the thinking for you while also showing you pictures to help illustrate the the purposes and things. Um, But again, Dan Olson is the guy who uh, has a channel called Folding Ideas on YouTube, and it is worth a look. He doesn't do just, like, hard stuff like this. He also has a three-part series on uh, what he refers to as a lukewarm defense of the Fifty Shades of Grey films. And those are actually really well-researched and interesting and smart and well done. And uh, there's a lot There's a lot that he covers um, that is worth watching, and I highly recommend them. I- I appreciate the use of the the homophone of Khan, mm-hmm. uh, and it. I will say we we watched uh, the first Fifty Shades movie in part because Rebecca literally fell asleep to that. For that that is uh, his stuff is one of the frequent things that she will fall mm-hmm. asleep to. Uh, to the point where the uh, the flat Earth uh, video in search of flat Earth, she watched she had started that mm, probably like twenty times without ever realizing that eventually it gets into uh, being about QAnon and making yeah. that connection. It's just, there was a point where she actually stayed up late enough uh, one night that was like, wait, what? That's where this goes? Uh, yep. So yeah, uh, definitely re- highly agreed. Uh, the My recommendation is going to be... So on Webtoons, uh, Batman Wayne Family Adventures. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that is that any good? I have enjoyed it. I oh good. It is. There's nothing amazing about this. This is, if you wanted to give the pitch, uh, what if you had a? I think four coma is the right term for that feel of like side story at the end of a manga. Like you mm-hmm. see the stuff that gets kind of drawn of. Here's the goofy stuff that the author wrote that or drew like sort of in a sort of sketchy style that is fun little side things. Uh, and that's exactly what this is except for the bat family. 
it's it's not far off from the coffee shop AU, except instead of it being a separate like setup and pitch, it's just oh, this is just the pleasant at home uh, character forward domestic moments of the Bat Family. And you have heard me talk about how my favorite version of Batman and the Batman and honestly, maybe DC in general is the Bat Family. And that is exactly what this is. You have Damien uh, having his birthday celebrated and being like awkward with it, but also glad to get that attention. You get, uh, and, and it is also worth noting, it is separate in continuity from where things are right now. It, but pieces of that are there. So you do have uh, Jason as the Red Hood, but also you have Oracle at, you have Barbara Gordon as Oracle. Uh, mm. And it's, it is, so it is in some ways like a, a distillation or choosing the versions of characters that I like the most of those characters and putting it in a chill, pleasant little uh, space. So highly recommended. Nice. Uh, that is again, Batman Wayne family adventures. And that's cool too. Cause it's an official, DC web comic on webtoon, which I thought was kind of nice that they they're slowly beginning to acknowledge that audience and platform as viable for them, which is good. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot of a <laughs> lot of cool people on there um, that they should be taking note of, like uh, Dan Scotty, who does a uh, Lavender Jack. I think he would write a killer, um, like Sandman or Batman story for a while. I mean, this shit has what eight hundred and ninety thousand followers. I think is what that says. Either that or that's how many substantial. <laughs> All right, um, we are going to do another episode of Adam Strange to get through nineteen sixty five to nineteen sixty six, and then we're going to move on to the Adam, and then Aquaman. Yes, and then Batman, because we finally have back issues for batman so we can hit the 1964 run of batman and see what happened to him the last time we read him which is probably the late 50s because for mm -hmm. some reason that's where this collection picks up is 1964 i don't know why but there we go so we will see you all next time thank you very much have a good one dc detectives can be found on soundcloud and itunes to stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It wasn't going to be the same without Fox and Infantino. Adam's helmet was just one casualty of the shifting creative team. We'd made it through the first year of Dave Wood's tenure, but we still had to spend 1965 with his misinterpretation of our Iranian heroes. We can always hope that things get better, right? <laughs>